Now we turn to our text for today, which uh, comes from a, a series I'm doing on Deuteronomy uh, in Ambassador, and we're at chapter 19. 19 begins the section of what you might call the section on the uh, sixth commandment. So let's read from our text, Deuteronomy 19, verses 1 through 13. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession, so that any manslayer can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer, who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and he strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood and hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Therefore I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And if the Lord God enlarges your territory as he, as he has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all of this commandment, which I command you today, by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to those three, lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies, and he flees into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of the innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. So far the reading of God's word. Let's come to our God in prayer that he may bless the preaching of his word. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit that you may help us define and to understand these old institutions of the cities of refuge and the avenger of blood, how they apply to our own times today. Lord, we pray that you may work in us so that we may be pricked by these words, so that we may be careful of of the hot blood that may, may fill us when we have that desire for vengeance, so that we may watch over our hearts and over the hearts of one another. Lord, we pray that you may work in us a desire for all your righteousness through these words. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, our sense of justice is deeply unreliable. We're often motivated by our own concerns, and that leaves us too often with mob justice. This is not just the picture of the torchlit mob come to hang the innocent man, but it can happen in very civilized ways as well. One instance would be the Japanese internment camps in World War II. Basically, where justice is determined by the feelings and the suspicions of the majority. Realizing this, God's word warns us against seeking out vengeance for ourselves 
exacting our own justice. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. This is just as true in the Old Testament as in the New. We see here God setting up places of refuge for true justice. Because of the deep sinfulness of man, man's justice is never completely reliable. And so God sets up a place in Israel where those who may be falsely accused may come to him for refuge. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, depend on God for vengeance. First, we'll see a refuge for true justice. Second, we'll see the importance of protecting the innocent. And third, we'll see the importance of destroying the violent. It's interesting that the section concerning the Sixth Commandment doesn't immediately jump to what is to be done about those who are guilty of disobeying this commandment. If we were to write this, we might say, Sixth Commandment, let's begin with what is wrong. Rather, God chooses to add an institution to the law of Israel that will seek to protect those who are innocent. We even see how some of our our common sense of today, innocent until proven guilty, may not have always been common sense. In establishing how the people of Israel are to treat one another, God's first care is for the innocent. And this is because of the nature of sin. When sin gains a hold on us, we are not the first person that we examine. That's in part because we view ourselves as gods. We consider ourselves as most worthy of glory. And our own sense of justice becomes the norm for treating one another. Because we, by nature, hate God and our neighbor, our old nature, our natural instinct will be to blame others for our problems, especially those who are outsiders. We will be quick to exact justice from the innocent. And in order to combat this, God sets up cities of refuge. He commands Israel, once you take the land of Israel, you are to set up cities of refuge. Verse 3, you shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession, so that any manslayer can flee to them. God sets up a place where his justice may reign. In a world of imperfect justice, the cities of refuge are a place where those who are falsely accused may come and find refuge in God. Again, God's first act in thinking about murder is to protect the innocent from false vengeance. In fact, similar arrangements have existed in the history of the church. In medieval Europe, not always a place of justice, men and women were free to seek sanctuary in the church. Now, this may not always have been the best application of this passage, especially since those who fled to the church who were guilty were not always held accountable. However, we see the principle at work in the minds of the people, of the Christian people of that time. God's justice is higher than man's justice. It's not hard to see the connection to Jesus Christ. We look at Jesus as the one who wipes out our sins, but he also functions as the true judge who will give us final justice. He warns the nations, don't harm, don't subvert, don't 
marginalize my bride, I will vindicate her on the final day. So in this way, if you believe in Jesus, if you become a member of his body, he is your city of refuge. And he functions as a city of refuge in a number of ways. When the devil comes and lays my sins before me and seeks to make me doubt my salvation, my righteousness in Jesus, I can rely on him for vindication. When the world accuses me of wickedness on the basis of its standard of justice, I can look to Jesus for my vindication. If the world or even my brother misunderstands my motivations and my desire for righteousness, I always can know that Jesus will give me justice as long as I do reflect his righteousness before friend and neighbor. This means that when I, when I come before Jesus, I always examine myself through the righteousness that he lived out, through the righteousness that he gives here in Deuteronomy. If I am innocent of sin in this matter, Jesus will vindicate. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. Perhaps I think I am innocent, but I am not, or, or even a mix of the two. Perhaps there's a mix of guilt and innocence in me. Jesus will continue to offer the blood of the cross in order to cover my sins so that I may walk in integrity before him. Recognizing our sinfulness, let our approach in this always be humility. We live in a broken wor world. As we'll see in this, in this passage, however good God's law was in Deuteronomy, Israel was even at its best not a place of perfect justice. She never followed this law perfectly. As I've already said, we are at war with our own evil lusts to bring them more and more in line with God's righteousness. So let's allow these words to examine us and see if there is any wicked way in me. In fact, understanding Jesus as our city of refuge gives us understanding for how the remaining instruction in this passage applies to our own day. And that brings us to our second point. Protecting the innocent. The cities of refuge are about protecting the innocent. God wants to ensure that those who cause accidental death are spared from the desire for vengeance. This is the provision of the manslayer who by fleeing there can save his life. Moses gives the example of a, of a man whose axe head slips and accidentally kills someone. Because this comes so easily to Moses' mind, we can imagine this happened at least once. We might think of hunting accidents today. One could argue that the man was negligent, but that doesn't play into the calculation here. There is such a thing as criminal negligence in scriptures. For example, when an ox who was known for goring gored someone, then the owner was criminally liable. There needed to be clear proof for such a thing, however. So negligence does not play into the story here. Another thing to notice is the motivation. This man was not known to hate the neighbor he accidentally killed. This suggests that the people who held court in the city of refuge were to make full inquiry into the death of the neighbor. This was basically an opportunity for this man to ask for the right to a fair trial. 
God wants to ensure that his people have that, that ability, to that ability to establish innocence, just because it's so easy to condemn people. Our text suggests that the normal way to deal with murders before this was through an institution known as the Avenger of Blood. This appears to have been a person appointed by a family or tribe who would go after the one who killed the family or tribal member and would give justice. He was, he was commissioned to kill the one who killed the family member. And this was their way of following God's command in Genesis 9. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed, for God made man in his own image. The great problem with this institution is given here in our text. The avenger of blood may well have personal connections to the case, and in hot anger he may kill the one who accidentally killed his neighbor. Accidental death is a, a reality of the misery that we experience here on earth. While we enjoy much of the goodness of God gives, there's at the same time the reality of, of the suffering caused by sin. This is why we have accidental deaths. This is why we have disease. This is why we have lameness, blindness, and the list goes on. These can't be eradicated. And the tendency of human beings is to want to blame someone or something for these things, when these are instead the consequences of the sinfulness of mankind. God wants to protect the innocent in these situations. He's concerned about the innocent blood of those who accidentally kill. He does not want their blood to pollute the land. So the cities of refuge must be accessible to all Israel. The three cities must be equidistant throughout the land of Israel so that he may easily flee to one of those cities. And he's careful to add that if Israel is to be faithful, he will give them even more land. And then they are to be careful to add more cities of refuge to make sure everyone may have an opportunity to receive justice. Again, prioritizing the innocent. In a world of sin where we like to believe that we are the righteous ones, it's easy to point fingers in anger at one another. It's easy to attack the innocent when the reality is we are all responsible for the shared misery of mankind. It's very easy to blame one another in these situations. But God gives us a city of refuge in Jesus Christ. We can even blame ourselves. Again, but God gives us a city of refuge in Jesus Christ. We see this so often in the Psalms where the psalm, psalmist pleads his innocence before God, trusting that God will do something to prove his innocence. The reality is we do live in a world of death and suffering. Let us give God the right to discern the hearts of men regarding the degree of malice or negligence we might have toward one another. Let us give God the right to discern the degree of malice or negligence that's in my own heart. And remember in all of this, the grace in which we stand. That Jesus Christ counted this miserable world full of sin and death as something he loved enough to die for. He loved you enough to die for you. He loved your brother enough to die for him. Paul tells the Romans, love your enemies. Look to God for vengeance. 
Now, the example of the innocent manslayer isn't about vengeance particularly, but about false vengeance. However, if we seek to avoid the desire for vengeance overall, we will hopefully also avoid being taken over by the hot anger that our text is talking about. The teaching of Romans 12 suggests that God gives something of a concession to Israel in our passage. He allows the institution of the avenger of blood to continue with the possibility that they might, they might catch an innocent manslayer before the person reaches the city of refuge. It's an unlikely situation, but a possible one. The manslayer has to flee to the city of refuge in order to ensure that he gets a fair trial. Now we can imagine that God would prefer that we release our claims of vengeance and trust on him and those who he has appointed to give vengeance, the civil magistrate, to give vengeance. So this is a bit of a concession to the people of Israel and their need for this institution of the avenger of, bl of blood. There's a, this is a, there's a bit of a pattern. This is a bit of a pattern in the, in the law that God gives. We learned from the New Testament that God gave concessions for divorce because of the stubbornness of the people. He permits divorce, but his law is clear on what his preference is for marriage. He permits this institution of the avenger of blood, but clearly he would prefer that these cases be decided by courts of law in his city of refuge. Christ, as usual, points us to the deeper application of the law, that instead of looking for the exceptions so that we can exact vengeance, that instead we put aside all desire of vengeance and rely on God, this to the point that we are willing to bless those who persecute us, we overcome evil by doing good. In fact, Christians ought to be cities of refuge like their Lord Jesus Christ. We offer the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to those who need it. And even more like the cities of refuge, we offer the true justice of Jesus Christ. We offer comfort. We love to defend the innocent and we desire to point the guilty to the cross of Jesus Christ where any man might find salvation. We do this by, like Jesus Christ, overcoming evil by doing good. And that brings us to our third point, destroying the violent. We may wonder then, what about justice for those who do suffer from malice and violence? Yes, Jesus Christ defends the innocent, but many deaths do come from malice. God does ensure that true justice is carried out in these cities of refuge. The blood of man must still pay for the death of man. He says in verse 11, But if anyone tax his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies, and he flees into one of these cities... Then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. God is concerned that this type of violence is not acceptable in Israelite society. He even warns against pitying such a man. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. That pity here is something technical you may have some understanding for the man, you may see, you, you may have some sadness for it, but you must not let that 
stay your hand from the justice that God has called you to in the ministry of vengeance. Guilt must be purged from the land of Israel. But what about Jesus Christ? Didn't he die so the murderer might be spared? Absolutely. And we believe that any man, however great his sin, may come to Christ and be saved. In fact, it is Christ's death that the murderer may be purged from any man's record. Murder, however, especially the premeditated murder that's described in our text, will not enable a peaceful society. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 13 that the civil magistrate is appointed by God bearing the sword of vengeance. God has given the sword of vengeance to the civil magistrate to exercise vengeance against violent men. This doesn't have the same purging effect as our land is not like the Holy Land, but it still is just on the part of the civil magistrate to do so to violent men for the sake of peace and society. The church, the members of the church as individuals and the, and the leaders of the church are not tasked with this sort of vengeance. Rather, they, like the city of refuge, hand over the violent man to the elders, which represent for us the civil magistrate, and the civil magistrate in turn hands over the violent man to the executioner. Provided, of course, that the civil magistrate takes their task as the ministry of vengeance seriously. Paul's words in Romans 13 may have been necessary because of those in the church who had a more utopian understanding of what would come through the cross of Christ. Paul is saying there will continue to be violent men in society and violent men among the righteous. And God gives the civil magistrate as a gift in order to protect the church who though she does not fight with the sword, still has enemies who are very willing to use physical violence against her. Though we believe that God is directing those in the ministry of vengeance, the truth is, human justice will never be perfect. It will continue to be necessary to put aside our desire for vengeance and trust that the Lord will bring vengeance. We continue to pray, weary of the sin and violence of the world, Lord, save us from violent men. Jesus Christ is, of course, the great judge who will give vengeance for the violence that his church has received. Continue to come to him as your salvation in a wicked and adulterous generation. This reality of violent men and the need for the destruction of the violent should take nothing away from God's mercy and his willingness to accept the repentance of the wicked including the murderer. Once again, remember the theme of this passage. God is our city of refuge. This is the city where he receives God justice, and God's justice has met his mercy in Jesus Christ. A city of refuge that not only protects the innocent, but makes us innocent, as long as we are willing to crucify our sin on the cross of Jesus Christ. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand in response and sing from Psalm 101, verses 1 through 3.